Hey there, it's Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, a podcast geared towards the things you may be misunderstanding about the difficult relationships in your life. I did not understand it when I was in it, but I definitely understand it now, and I want to share that understanding with you so that you too can find the courage you didn't know you had to make the changes you didn't think you could make. Hey there, welcome back. This is Dr. Heidi. Uh, Like I said last week, I direct a lot of people during the week to the podcast episodes that they need to hear right now, according to the situation that they're in. Last week, I gave you four episodes that I most often suggest when people are seeking validation on whether or not their relationship is healthy. The reason we seek validation is to prove to ourselves that we're not crazy or that it's not our fault. Through all your researching and all your reading and your Googling, don't forget that you and only you are the one who gets to decide which relationships are healthy for you and which ones are not. If it is changing you, if it is destroying you, if it is stealing your identity, if you don't have an opinion, if you don't get to use your voice, if it's all your fault, it's usually time to make that decision. Today, I want to feature the top episodes that I suggest for those who have made the choice for themselves to leave, but are now struggling with self-doubt or guilt. If you are feeling alone and uncomfortable now when you thought you were ready, it's okay. It is normal to feel this way for a while. The following episodes may help you explain why. The ones you will hear today in this episode are as follows. Number 158, why do I feel so sorry for them? Number 105, trauma bonding explained. Number 127, all they need is contact. And number 101, I cut them off, now what? Now, in addition, there are a few that I recommend that may also be helpful to you right now. Those numbers are number 191, love bombing and hoovering explained. If you are one that has removed yourself, but you are having this constant contact with them and their personality seems to be changing each time, listen to the hoovering section of that podcast every day for two weeks. I promise your understanding will grow. Number 100 is another good episode, the words that come out of their mouth. Number 165, conversations with a toxic person. And as always, if you need a reminder of why they are doing the things they're doing, go back and listen to number 144, back to the basics. Now, here's the episodes for today. Hey everybody, welcome back. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, Rid Your Life of Toxic People. This is Dr. Heidi. A huge thank you to those of you who were on the most recent podcast episodes. It is huge for both you and the listeners to hear stories of other people who are going through similar situations. Um, the response and the connections that were made through the listeners relating to those stories have been have been enormous. And you know that that's the whole purpose of coaching with Dr. Heidi is. I don't want anybody to feel like they are going through this alone. I remember when I was in the toxic relationship in my life, I literally thought I was the only one in a situation like this. And it's easy to feel that way when you look outside the doors and everybody else seems to be doing great. 
but you know, to you from other people's perspective, you seem to be doing great too. So it's, it wasn't until, you know, I started realizing I was not the only person in this and started realizing that if I would have had some connections with other people who had experienced and who understood it, maybe I would have been able to change the length of that relationship or some of the dynamics of how that relationship went down and how that relationship ended. But my mission is to make sure that you guys don't feel like you're going through it by yourself. And that's the whole reason for this podcast. It's the whole reason for the Facebook support group. It's the whole reason for my coaching programs. It's the whole reason for my private coaching. So you can have someone in your back pocket reminding you that you are not alone. Now, today I want to talk about something that I actually had somebody uh, write in a few weeks ago and ask if I could please do a podcast on this. And I started thinking, you know, they're exactly right because this is why I ended up in this relationship. And this is why I stayed so long in this relationship. And this is why I went back so many times in this relationship. So the question I'm going to try and answer today is why do we feel and struggle with feeling sorry for the toxic person in our life? Now, generally speaking, if I were to describe you as a listener, I'm just going to throw this out there, but I'm going to guess it would sound something like this. Sensitive, caring, you're kind, you're a helper. You're the problem solver. You're the giver. You're the fixer. You're the supporter. You're the conflict avoider. You're the peacekeeper. We're the fire putter outers, right? And all of those traits fall under a personality that carries a high level of empathy. Okay. We experience other people's troubles and we do what we can because we can feel what they're going through. All these things involve maintaining our emotional peace, both within our own lives and within the lives of anybody who crosses our path. We take other people's feelings very seriously because we know and can relate to how they feel. Okay, the toxic personality, and we know toxic is not a diagnosis, Toxic is an adjective that is used to describe a person with a personality that is not healthy for you mentally, physically, or emotionally. If we take that personality and we go back to the basics of what governs them and what motivates their behavior, it's the feeling of security in themselves. They need to feel things like control, power, and they need a constant supply of attention. And they get this from other people in their lives so that they can achieve this overall feeling of security in themselves. Now, if you had to find people to place in your life that would give you the feeling of control and power and get a lot of attention and, you know, that would admire you, what type of person would you look for? Oh, the kind, caring, helper, problem solver, conflict avoidant peacekeeper, correct? In other words, they will look for someone with a high level of empathy. Okay, on the flip side, your normal toxic personality does not have a high level of empathy. So what does that person look like? 
They're usually very critical of others, critical of situations. They're blaming. It's not their fault. It's your fault. It's the weather's fault. It's the dog's fault. It's the boss's fault. It was never their fault. They're, they seem to be very non-forgiving. You know, they don't really forget the past. They tend to hold grudges because that gives them a little bit of power. They're very opinionated and expect other people in their lives to accept their opinion and agree with them. A lot of times they have a lack of patience with others. They're easily frustrated by others. They seem confused or baffled by other people's feelings. They don't normally think or really care about how their behaviors affect another person emotionally. They cannot cope very well in emotional situations. What they do instead is they stop talking or they pick a fight or they do something that switches an emotional situation to a power control type situation. Now, empathy doesn't always have to be all or nothing. It can be more in some situations and it can be less in some situations. But it is my belief that the less empathetic will seek out the more empathetic every time because it gets them more of what they need faster. It gets them more of the control. It gets them more of feeling of power. It gets them more attention faster so they feel secure. So now all the heads are nodding because I just described you and I just described the toxic person in your life that you are listening to this podcast for, correct? As you can see just from these lists, that the relationship between two people of opposite empathy levels is probably going to be quite topsy-turvy. Many of you describe it as an emotional roller coaster because of these differences. The question I'm gonna try and answer today is, how do I stop feeling sorry for them? Now, in order to answer that question, we need to look a little deeper into what it actually means to feel sorry for them. Okay, and with that, I'm gonna use two words. I'm gonna use the word empathy, and I'm gonna use the word sympathy. And I am gonna do my very best to describe the difference between the two so you can not only recognize it, but perhaps even start consciously separating the two into the appropriate situations. Okay, now empathy, empathy is when we experience and feel another person's pain or we experience and feel another person's joy. But either way, we can feel the feelings of another person. We have the ability to relate and to understand what they're going through. Now, sympathy, sympathy is a feeling of sorrow for another person's misfortune or another person's situation. It's a feeling that you care about someone else's trouble or grief and not really taking on their feeling but you do feel sorry for what they're going through, but you don't have this ginormous urge to fix it for them. Empathy is very internal. We actually feel what the other is feeling. 
So the reality of the situation becomes internal to us. Thus, feeling the need to fix it and carry them through because we know exactly how they're feeling. Now, sympathy, on the other hand, is much more external. You feel sorry for someone who has, say, lost a loved one or even lost a pet. You can still feel sorry for them, even if you can't relate exactly to the situation because you care about people. But we don't share in the emotional feeling. We don't share in their emotional pain when we are sympathizing. So let me tell you a story. This is just a scenario, but it's the story of the bully on the playground. Okay, we have one child who is maybe a little smaller in stature and maybe a bookworm and maybe a lot quieter, who every day before lunch gets pushed down on the playground and gets his lunch stolen by a bigger, meaner child. Now in this scenario, who do we feel sorry for? Okay, most of us listeners are immediately going to feel sorry for the child that's being bullied because we can empathize with that pain. We can feel what they're feeling, okay? Until we find out that the bully has a very bad home life and they survive on their own and they don't have friends and the reason they're stealing lunches is because they don't have any food. Now, who feels sorry for the bully? We initially felt so bad for the child that was being bullied because we could feel his pain. But when we heard that the bully has a tough life, we had a hard time not feeling sorry for him in that situation too. So here is an instance when we should and can empathize with the child that's being bullied because we can feel the feelings and we understand that. But we should sympathize with the bully because regardless of his situation, his behavior is unacceptable. So what can we do so that we feel like we fix that situation? Well, we don't allow the bullying to continue just because the bully has a bad upbringing and doesn't have a lunch. But we can find the bully the resources that they need so that they can change their behavior. When we run completely off of empathy, we allow bad behavior from others. Sympathizing is saying, I feel sorry for you, but that does not excuse your behavior. Many of you ask me, so again, how do I stop feeling sorry for them? You don't have to stop feeling sorry for them. You can still care about them and the things that they are going through, but you cannot continue to empathize with them as it allows their bad behavior to continue. Because in order for you to empathize, we allow the bad behavior to basically disappear. Empathy is a very present feeling. They are hurting. You feel it. It sucks. You want to fix it for them. So you back down so that feeling goes away, forgetting entirely about the bad behavior. Sympathy is more of an ongoing state as opposed to a immediate present state. They are hurting. You can see it. It sucks for them. But why are they in this situation? Oh, because they treated you badly. Sympathy doesn't cover up bad behaviors. It accepts it for what it is, 
but it doesn't make it disappear or make excuses for it. Empathetic people run off of feeling and emotion. Sympathy runs off of logic and reality. If you are feeling bad for your toxic person in your life, ask yourself, what got them to this point? Okay, it might be a diagnosis, it might be a traumatic upbringing, it might be an addiction, because those are all things that would cause insecurity in a person. And it's more often than not what has brought on their, be their bad behavior. Now they're feeling bad, making you feel bad, and you don't like to feel bad, so we once again forget all the bad behavior so that the bad feeling in ourself goes away. If you are empathetic, that's great. Empathy is a great quality to have. I am very empathetic. I can feel what other people are feeling. But like in anything, we need to set boundaries and we need to learn to protect ourselves. We have a precious gift by being empathetic. And we have to be responsible in how we distribute it. Do not let another take advantage of that fantastic quality to once again get what they need from you. Empathy and sympathy are two very different things. Toxic people are emotionally abusive, meaning they use your emotions to get what they need. When they can say or do something that gets an emotional reaction, they feel in control of your emotions, which makes them feel secure. When they can say or do something to make you happy, to make you sad, to make you feel guilty, to make you upset, all they have to do is say or do something to cause you to have a feeling. You have a bad feeling. You don't like that feeling. You want to get rid of that feeling. You retract everything, forget their bad behavior, so everything goes back to status quo. Empathy is an emotion. Emotionally abusive people are going to use your empathy to get what they need. Now, when I teach people how to communicate with their toxic people, say they have to co-parent or say it's a family member or say it's a coworker. I teach them how to communicate with these less empathetic personalities with less emotion because it's the emotion that the toxic personality needs to get you to react the way they need you to react. So feeling sorry for them is okay. It's the same thing to feel sympathetic and to feel empathetic is still feeling sorry for them, but sympathetic is logical where empathetic is emotional. And for those of us who are motion, emotionally driven are always going to fall back on the emotion. And like I said, it is a good trait that you're governed by emotion, but you are the one that has to protect yourself and you, because you're emotional, cannot make excuses for their bad behavior because you are empathetic in feeling what they feel. Empathy continues to tie our emotions and allows them to remain in control of us and it allows them to remain in control of how we feel. So start being very conscious about whether this situation requires empathy or this situation requires sympathy. You can still feel sorry for them and hold them accountable for their behavior. Disconnecting your emotions from a toxic person is the only way we can regain our power. It is the only way 
we can get them to go away. It is the only way you can keep yourself safe when dealing with someone who wants to abuse you emotionally for what they need. Keep the situation logical when you are feeling sorry for the toxic person. All of you can look at this toxic relationship in your life and logically, you know this relationship is not healthy for you. But as soon as emotions get involved, it clouds your logic. So stay in tune with sympathy and empathy because in an empathetic situation, this is how it goes. They are feeling bad. They are feeling alone. They are feeling hurt because I withdrew. That's where an empathetic person stops. They're feeling bad because I withdrew. So how do I fix the fact that they're feeling bad? I re-engage. Okay, someone who is using sympathy in this situation, they are feeling alone, they're hurting because I withdrew because they were treating me badly. See the difference? We can still feel sorry for their situation and not allow the bad behaviors to disappear, to make excuses for them or to allow them to continue. You can still feel sorry for them and protect yourself at the same time. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. Rid your life of toxic people. Welcome back. Thank you for sharing the podcast and thank you for supporting my mission, which is to provide hope, healing, and freedom for those whose lives have been affected by toxic relationships, emotional abuse, and narcissistic behaviors. Um, Really quick, the National Conference is a go. We've been in close contact with the venue and they have modified our room space and they've modified a few of the things. And right now, it sounds like the conference is all set. Um, It is September 18 through 20. We had to postpone it from March. It is the third National Conference. What would you find at the conference? If you are seeking answers to why toxic people do what they do, you will find those answers there. If you've been listening to my podcast, you already know that that's the basis of what I do. We all know what they do, but when you can figure out and understand why they do it, you take their power away. Um, A couple of the, the presentations that I also do at the conference is I go over all the tactics of hoovering all the different ways they suck you back in when you try to leave or you try to exit or you try to cut them off. I also go through something I call conversations with a toxic person or conversations with a narcissist. And it's all the tactics that they use to keep you engaged in a three hour discussion, quote, verbal competition that they will win. So moving forward, when you can spot those type of tactics within those different scenarios, you should be able to remove yourself from it. Um, The online program has been very, very effective for a lot of people. I know it's a self-study, but if you have um, different reasons why you can't coach privately or you can't get to the conference, the Freedom Me online program is my entire program in a written form. All the 21 character traits and all the self-discovery. So right now it is 50% off. So if you are in a spot where you feel like you're ready to learn, but you're not ready to jump in with two feet, That's a very good option that can be found on the website. Um, Groups, there is another set of small groups uh, starting the first week of September. And the groups that are going right now are going fabulous. My favorite thing about the groups is you immediately have a support system. 
You have three or four other people that know exactly what you're going through. So if you have something going on between classes, you can reach out to them and they already know your situation. So that's one option. If you've been thinking about working with me or going through one of my programs, the groups are proving to be very, very helpful and, and very, very supportive. Um, I have had several people write in if I would address trauma bonding. And um, I took some time to think about how exactly I wanted to address this because I don't get stuck on definitions. And I, I don't do that to be rude or to brush them under the table. But um, if I can explain something in a way that you understand it, it seems to be better than a definition for me. It seems to be more act provoking. And so I, I did finally get something put together for trauma bonding. And that's what I want to talk about today. Trauma bonding 100% is a thing. It is absolutely a bond that establishes itself between an abuser and the person that is being taken advantage of. Um, trauma bonding and the reason I don't love definitions is trauma bonding to me makes us assume there's something wrong with us. Okay, trauma is something that happens to us. Trauma isn't something that's wrong with us. So if you feel like you have trauma bonding, that does not mean that there's something wrong with you. That is something that has happened to you and the bonding is a result of that. Trauma bonding by definition, if you look it up on the internet, is trauma bonding occurs as a result of ongoing cycles of abuse in which intermittent reinforcements of reward and punishment create a powerful emotional bond that are resistant to change because of the amount of time spent together. Okay, so that's the, uh, that's the definition of trauma bonding. It is a thing. I am here to personally tell you it is a thing. Um, as you all know, I am not a therapist. I am somebody who has walked the path that you're walking now. My particular um, situations, and yes, situations, which means more than one toxic relationship, um, cover all different types of relationships. I've been in a long-standing toxic relationship that was a spousal situation. I have been in friendships. I have had coworkers. So when, when I'm talking about trauma bonding, it can actually be between any type of people that are involved in an unhealthy situation. So today, through the eyes of a emotional abuse graduate and through the eyes of somebody who witnessed children growing up in a controlling, emotionally dangerous environment, I see trauma bonding as something that is ingrained, okay? It is learned through repetition and reprimand by an abuser on those who they are using in order to feel secure. If you are someone who has been sadly placed in a toxic person's life, you are there to give them something they need to feel secure. Toxic people, for whatever reason, are insecure and they seek different things to make them feel secure. When trauma, control, manipulative tactics are used as like a weapon for someone to gain the feeling of control, power, attention, or admiration, it comes with consequences. And the consequences in that environment will, will result in punishment, 
um, criticisms, you know, belittling, name calling, and oftentimes even discarding. Those of us who have been placed in the lives of toxic people are nothing but in a learning process of survival. We have to learn how to survive in that environment. And because toxic relationships infiltrate so slowly, you don't always notice it's coming. All of a sudden, there you are and you wonder how you got there. So while you're in there and things are slowly changing and the toxic person is getting more control and getting more power and then sometimes stepping out to get attention and admiration, we learn very quickly how to please them, how to avoid conflict, how to keep their attention, right? We always, always focus on them because we want to stay one step ahead of them. They're very unpredictable and they're very inconsistent. And the reason they do that and the reason they cause chaos and the reason your life feels like it is always got drama in it is because that always keeps your attention on them. You have to guess what's coming. You have to be prepared. You have to be on guard. The whole walking on eggshells is because you're always worried what's coming. In doing so, we become very accustomed to keeping our full attention on the toxic person in order to survive. And when I say survive, I don't mean always survive for your life, but survive in that relationship. You know, we don't want to be belittled. We don't want to be criticized. We want to be accepted. We want to be good enough. We want to be approved of. So we spend our time staying one step ahead to try and meet all those needs that the toxic person is placing on us. Trauma bonding, and again, I'm trying to describe this, how, how it's easy for you to just pick up and move with. I see it as, a, as something like a security blanket for the people involved. The closer we stay to the toxic person, the safer we feel. And even though you know that you have the feeling of tension in your stomach, you still feel safer around them because you can predict their behavior. If we stay close, we're better equipped to handle the trauma. We're better equipped to handle what's happening. We're better equipped to keep them not mad, to ward off a fight. And the toxic person knows that keeping other people close to them is going to ensure that the control over them will remain constant as the cycle continues and as the cycle gets worse and as the cycle gets deeper. The, the farther and farther you get into an abuse cycle, the harder it feels like it is to get out. And the reason that is is because the amount of time that you spend in a toxic environment is also the amount of time you spend in survival mode with your attention on them, hoping you can please them. Now, this is where I think the frustration comes when people send me messages about, can you please address the trauma bonding? Frustration comes in when we decide to leave or break off or cut ourselves out of an unhealthy situation. It's very confusing because at that point, that's all you thought about when you were in the toxic environment. All you thought about was a way to get out. How can I get out? I want to be free. I want to be happy. I want to find myself again. And we think that when we get out, that's what we're going to feel. So it's very frustrating and it's very confusing because we should feel relieved. 
We should be able to move forward because that's what we've always wanted. But because of that intense survival training, you remove yourself, you move out, you break it off, you change jobs, you cut off family members, and all of a sudden, we don't know where to put our security because that's where our security lied. Our security lied in our survival mode. It's lied in being able to predict their behavior, knowing what was coming, you know, guessing and staying one step ahead. So we continue to feel like we're more secure when we're closer to the toxic people because we've gotten so good at reading their behavior. On top of that, we've become completely dependent on them for our feeling of security, for our feeling of approval. And more times than not, the toxic person has completely stolen our identity. We have a very hard time making decisions because not that they make our decisions for us, they just say, why did you do it that way? How come you're eating that? That's too expensive. So we back off on even the decisions that we should be making as grown adults. And especially when kids go through this and they're, just, they're trying to grow and they're trying to learn and they're trying to become the people they need to become, if they're in a toxic environment and somebody is dictating the decisions, they will always feel dependent on the person that has been dictating their decisions. They will never trust themselves enough to make a decision. So when you leave a toxic environment, you think you're gonna feel great and you think you're gonna feel free and you leave and this strange, insecure, you don't know how to put your finger on it feeling comes in. And, and we don't know what it is because all I've wished for is to get out of this and now here I'm out and I'm not feeling good. Bonding with an abuser is normal, okay? Bonding with a toxic person is normal. It is a result of having to remain close to them in order to survive. So distancing oneself from them is gonna heighten the fear of the unknown. Remember, you are always gonna stay or it's always easier to stay in something that is familiar than it is to step into something you don't know. So when you leave and you're sitting out here in the unknown, you don't really know how to move forward there, from there and you no longer are in close enough contact to know what's going on with them. So having that insecurity and that lack of self-confidence is what sets in because of a trauma bond. It heightens the feeling of, of uncertainty. Now I don't know what they're doing, I don't know what to expect, and I don't know what my future holds. And you know, there's a misconception. I sit on a lot of divorce boards and a lot of workshops for um, people that are going through divorce. Um, I listen and many people believe, now there are amicable divorces, there are amicable breakups, but I can almost pick out by facial expression the people that are in the workshop that are in a toxic relationship before I ever speak with them. Because I can tell how they're reacting to the suggestions that the leaders are saying, do this or do that while you're going through the divorce process. And as I read their faces, I can tell they're saying to themselves, this is never gonna work. I already tried this and it's not gonna work. So when you divorce a toxic person or you break up with a toxic person or you try to cut a toxic family member out of your life, they're not seeing it the same way you are. You are seeing, I need freedom. And then you are sad because it is an ending of a relationship. It is a grief process that you go through. 
the way a toxic person looks at it is not that I'm losing the love of my life, not that that's the best girlfriend I ever had, not that I'm very close to this family member and now they won't talk to me. All they see is I'm feeling insecure because I am no longer in control of that person. So the misconception when you file for divorce or you break up or you try to break ties with a toxic person is that the breakup is the hard part. And I'm here to tell you, the breakup is hard. The actual filing, breaking up, cutting off is hard. But what's harder is right after that. Because then you have to understand that we have to find ourselves back. We've been catering, we've had our attention, we've had our focus on feeling secure around them and now they're not there. So knowing why trauma bonding occurs is the only way that you're gonna break free from it. And I'm hoping that this explanation kind of brings it into a little bit simpler form than, oh, I have trauma bond. It is merely because you've been trained to always protect yourself. And, and you, when you're close and you can predict what they're do, going to do next, you're protecting yourself. You're getting ready for it. When you can understand why that feeling of insecurity and uncertainty sets in instead of the feeling of freedom, because that's what you anticipated. You anticipated, oh my goodness, I cannot wait till this is over because I'm gonna be free and I'm gonna be happy and I'm gonna have the best rest of my life that I've ever had. And then all of a sudden, you're feeling insecure and you're feeling scared and you're feeling worried that you made the wrong decision. It's completely normal. And it's completely normal because your attention has been on them for so long. So for your safety, both emotionally and sometimes physically, your attention always stayed on them. And I guess how I can best explain breaking free from the trauma bond is understanding that that's why you feel that way. People that get discarded by a toxic person, that's what they're feeling right after. That's why the discard is so hard to accept. Somebody who discards you and never speaks to you again, one, there's no closure, and two, all of the sudden, those intense feelings of, of the trauma bond set in. And now you don't know what to expect. You don't know what they're doing and you don't know what, what you're going to do with your future. So I, and I think this is how I went through it, which is why I really had to think about this. We've put our security in them. We have put our dependence on them. We've put our focus on them. So when you have made the step to remove a toxic person from your life, you have to understand that you immediately have to start putting the security back in yourself and the abilities that you've developed to survive. You're a survivor. If you've been in a toxic situation, if you've been raised in a toxic situation, if you've been in a long-standing toxic relationship, you're a survivor. By placing your attention on yourself, that once was totally on them and by taking care of yourself, how you used to take care of them and by pleasing yourself instead of the one who demanded to be pleased is how you're eventually going to make that transition. A toxic person has 100% goal of controlling you. So the trauma bond comes in because they know 
if there is punishment and if there's consequences and if there's name calling and if there's fighting and if there's manipulation, you'll pay attention to them so you're on your toes. Trauma bonding is not something that is wrong with you. It is something that happened to you by someone who fully intended to use you for control, power, attention, or admiration so that they themselves could feel secure. And I've, I've said this before, toxic people don't care how many people they control. They'll control as many people as they can. They'll get attention from as many people as they can. They'll put their power out over as many people as they can. And if you're not supplying one of those, you won't be in their life very long. You have the ability to bond with yourself in the same way you did with them. And that's by giving yourself the same attention, the same respect, the same time, the same energy. And when we come out of toxic environments, we are told that self-care is selfish. Why? Because they want all of your caring abilities to be focused on them. If you've attracted toxic people and if you've attracted repetitive toxic people, it's because toxic people are targeting your personality. You're a good, caring, giving person, which means it's probably not the last toxic person you're going to attract. So you need to reestablish the bonds with yourself and take some self-care time. And you know, it's easy for me to say that and it's hard to do. To push yourself to, to start taking care of yourself, to push yourself to give you the time you need, to push yourself to start meeting other people and getting out and doing things, it's a push. And that's exactly why I say the actual cutting off of the toxic person isn't the hard part, even though it seems like it is. The hard part is cutting off the emotional bond that you've had with them and putting that emotional bond into yourself. You are fully capable of living a life where your attention is focused on you, where your energy is put towards things you want and you need. And when you go through this breaking of the trauma bond, start picturing your life how you pictured it when you used to want out. What did you see? What did it look like? Who were you with? Were you laughing? Were you smiling? And continue to picture the life that you pictured when you were in it because the trauma bond will take over and make you feel like you've lost something. When you've lost something and you don't know who you are, it becomes very devastating. And that's how my, you know, my program developed. We do the toxic traits. We understand exactly why they do what they do, but that's not the end of, of what I do. We do all the self-discovery so we can break those trauma bonds. You know, who are you? Who did you want to be when you grew up? How did you picture your life? Because all of that has been stripped from you in the time that you spent in a toxic environment. You are 100% capable of living for yourself. And if you're waiting for somebody to give you permission to wait for yourself, I think I gave you guys permission um, to take care of yourself on the last podcast. You have permission to put yourself first. And I know that toxic people are very good at using guilt to get you to do what they want. And when you start taking care of yourself and try to break this bond, you're going to feel guilty. Guilt is an emotion. Okay. Nobody can make you feel guilty unless you allow it. So when you feel the guilt, sit in it for a minute and think, do I really have anything to feel guilty about? Did I do something wrong? If the answer is no, then you feel the guilt and you do it anyway. Because eventually you'll start applying guilt where it's appropriate. 
and quit applying guilt where it's inappropriate. And again, this is just my thoughts on trauma bonding. When I think about how I had to break all of that emotional bond and try to rebuild my self-worth and really feel like, you know, Heidi, you really have good stuff going on. You need to build on that and quit looking backwards. But if, if this is something that you've experienced and, and have been having a hard time understanding why the pull is so hard back to that person, this is why. So the energy that's been going to them now needs to go into yourself. The relationship that you have with yourself is the number one relationship you should have. Because if you're happy and you're confident and you are willing to sacrifice for yourself, you're gonna attract the right people. And by knowing the red flags, when you see somebody that's the wrong, the wrong people, you won't have a problem and you won't feel guilty not letting them in your life. Just my thoughts on trauma bonding and there's no scientific basis to my explanation. It's just coming from where I was because I've been there. And I have officially broken the bonds and I am free. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. Rid your life of toxic people. I know, I know, I know, it's been two weeks, okay? There is a reason I could not record a podcast last week. The weekend before last, I spent two days in Nashville and Dr. Heidi insists on singing every word with every song that any band in any bar in the entire city sings and I always come home with no voice. So if I would have done a podcast last week, I would have been on full volume with most of you because I could barely speak. So I will try to take better care of myself for you guys. I am so sorry. I hope everybody had a great fourth. Um, I had posted a uh, post in the Strength Within group kind of describing what freedom means after you've been able to remove yourself from a toxic relationship because the 4th of July obviously is Independence Day of a nation. But once you have freed yourself from the trap of a toxic relationship or more than one toxic relationship, the word freedom means so much more. And now my 4th of Julys mean a lot more just because I take time to reflect on the freedom that I was able to refind or find again or discover after my series of toxic relationships. Um, a couple of announcements. I did just post in the Strength Within group. Strength Within group, if you're not in the Strength Within group, it is a support group that I host on Facebook. It is a private group, so the group can be searched, but you cannot see who's in it, and nothing in it can be shared out of it. So if you're not in the support group online, Strength Within is how you find it on Facebook. You answer a couple questions, and Dr. Heidi lets you in if you're not suspicious. Um, anyway, I just posted in the Strength Within group, I am looking to start some small groups, um, meaning three to four people only. Uh, schedules are getting full. We're kind of slipping back into what might look like a little bit more regulations again because of, because of COVID. 
And so there may be people out there that have been thought about maybe working with me um, because of finances or because of time or because of different circumstances, maybe you weren't able to. Um, the advantage of doing a small group, obviously it will be online. We will do it through a Zoom app where we can do video and we'll all be together in the same app like everybody's doing everything around the entire world. But when you're in a small group, you immediately have a support system that knows what your situation is. So you're able to reach out to the people in that group as opposed to just trying to reach out to me or trying to explain your entire situation to the people in the big support group. So if you've been thinking about coaching, the, the group coaching is a very small group. It's gonna be um, meet once a week, just like the private coaching does. And right now it's gonna include the online course as well. So you're gonna have everything that you need. Um, if you are interested in the small group coaching, get a hold of me for the details. Either message me through Facebook or message me through Instagram, or you can email me and I will get you the details. I hesitate to put them out there because everybody's schedule is gonna be different and people are gonna have questions, so it's just easier for me to handle them right now if they come in individually. Um, the online course is still 50% off through the 15th and it's the code to use for the self-study online program is virus 2020 v-i-r-u-s gets you half price on the uh, freedom me online course there is a couple openings in private coaching the way i run my private coaching is you can you can book to use me as a private coach month to month so because Commitment is difficult and change is difficult and finances are difficult. I've made it very easy for you to be in control of how the private coaching goes. So we do once a month. It is, we have a session every week and you are able to get a hold of me for emergency purposes between phone calls. Um, so I'm able to answer your questions and really, really get down to the nitty gritty of exactly what's going on in your life and in your situation right now. It's it's very handy to have somebody who's been there, somebody who can predict their behavior, and somebody who can let you know what we should be worrying about and what we should let go. Because toxic people want us to worry about everything. And 95% of it does not need to be worried about. It's either A, lies, B, tactics to try and get you to communicate with them, or see a way to trap you back into control. And I can see that from the outside. So that's why the private coaching works so well. I do have some private coaching um, openings right now. Conference, conference tickets are selling right now. We are hosting the conference as planned, September 18th, 19th, and 20th right here in St. Louis. You will get the details after you register. That link is on the Coaching with Dr. Heidi website. Today, the topic of the podcast is a question that came in from a listener and she has a little bit uh, different situation than most of our listeners. You know that I work with people in all types of toxic relationship. A toxic person is toxic. Across the board, they're all after the same thing. They do things the same way. They need all the same things. So whether it's a family member, if it's somebody in your social circle, if it's a coworker, or if it's an intimate partner, maybe a child, maybe a mother, maybe a parent, maybe a sibling, um, all the toxic people are after the same thing. 
So I got a question in on how am I supposed to move on? Now I've cut them off. I've cut them off, now what am I doing? Because I thought the cutting off part was gonna be the hard part. And as it ends up, that was the easiest part because now that they're gone, I don't know what to do from here. Because now I'm sitting in this pool of emotions. You know, I'm still wanting acceptance and approval. I'm going through self-loathing because what parts of it were my fault and should I have done anything different? Then I look back at, was I a victim? Was I actually a victim of emotional abuse? And then I'm angry because of the way I've been treated. I have resentment. I want them to pay. I want them to understand what I've been through. I'm harboring bitterness, which is only hurting myself. And overall, I'm just kind of feeling blah. How do I put it in perspective so that I can move on into the life I wanted, which was the whole reason I cut ties with this person? Okay, to the listener who wants this question answered, this is going to be a 78 part series. No, I'm just kidding. But that is a big question. And everybody goes through their healing process differently at different times, different ways, and you figure out what works for you. But there's a few things you have to realize when you're going through the healing process. Did this happen to you? Yes. Did this affect you? Yes. Did it affect your future? Absolutely. Did it affect who you are? Yes. The first thing is we know what we went through because you've lived it. You know what happened. You saw it repetitively. You lived with it and it became normal. So you know what you went through. The trick is understanding why certain people put you through what you've been through. And the things that you take away from having to go through something, especially in an upbringing, are being the victim. Nobody wants to be the victim. We, we look at the word victim as a bad thing. Many people deal with being the scapegoat in an upbringing situation. As you grow, you notice you are emotionally unavailable. You have become a perfectionist. You stay busy all the time. You feel like there has to be drama and there has to be chaos for you to feel comfortable. Back to the point, this was all done to you, but it did not have anything to do with you. It had everything to do with what the toxic person needed at that particular time to feel secure. So as an example, we use lotion to keep dry skin away. We use a toothbrush to keep our teeth clean. We use a car to move from point A to point B. Just like that, toxic people use others to get what they need. So really, in the scope of everything, you're just a toothbrush. A tool used by someone to get something that they need. And what do they need? We talk about this every podcast. They need to feel control, power, attention, and admiration every day. So being raised or being in or being around a toxic environment for a long time 
you have been trained to give them your attention. Before you cut them off, you were trained to give them your attention. So it's very hard for then you to step out of it, cut them off, and stop giving them your attention. Your mind has been trained to have your attention on them and whether it's to avoid conflict, to hope they don't get mad, to please them for acceptance, um, to prove that you're worthy, any of those will put your attention on them. So it's very hard to just cut yourself off and think, okay, now I'm good. No, you've been trained. Your attention is still on them. What are they thinking? What are they doing? What are they gonna do next? So just because you've disconnected from them doesn't mean there's not work to do. Just because you were someone's toothbrush and you were used for what they needed at the time doesn't make you any less a toothbrush. Meaning just because things happen to you doesn't mean you are not lovable, does not mean you are not worthy. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It all depends on who was using you. Because there is good people out there that won't treat you like that. So just because someone treated you like that does not mean there's anything wrong with you. They were just using you for what they needed. Now that you've removed yourself, you can break free from their control, right? But there's a couple things that you need to do and it always seems unfair to me when I teach people how to overcome the trap of a toxic relationship, how to heal, how to recover, how to move forward. Because why are we the ones doing all the work and they just move on to the next person with a different mask and never change their behavior? But for you to remove yourself is one thing, but for you to be free from their control and the training that they've done is another thing. You have to understand how toxic people operate and you have to accept them for who they are. So in your plan to move forward, those are your two steps. Understand how they operate and accept them for who they are, which brings in the word forgiveness. Yikes, nobody wants to talk about that, right? In, in my world, forgiveness came about once I accepted them for who they were. We don't want people to ask us to change. We shouldn't have to ask them to change. They don't realize, or most of them don't realize how bad they're hurting people because in their mind, they are out for one person and one person only. So once you accept that, it's much simpler for you to move forward after you've cut them out of your life. Accepting others allows you to move forward rather than sit in the stuck and question their behavior and wonder why they do what they do and how can somebody that says they love you treat you like this. Once you accept that that's just what they do, it's much easier for you to move forward. We don't come down on toddlers for having temper tantrums, right? That's what toddlers do. And what do we do with the toddler when they have a temper tantrum? We ignore them because if you feed it and you try to fix it, you train them that you'll cater to them when they have a temper tantrum. Toxic people are exactly the same. So you can sit in the stuck and you can question their behavior and you can try to figure out how they're thinking and you can try to do all of that to justify why they're treating you that way. But at the end of the day, that's who they are. They are a toddler 
having a temper tantrum that wants attention and wants to control you by getting what they want. And anytime we sit in the stuck for a period of time, where is your attention? It's right on them. So once you cut them off, there's a period of time that you sit in the stuck and you need to validate, um, you know, yes, this was something and yes, I am in the right and no, I am not crazy and yes, I need to get out. But the longer you sit there, the longer your attention is still going on them. So there comes a point when we cut them off, we sit in it for a minute, and then we move on. Because what was the whole goal in cutting them off in the first place? It wasn't to cut them off and then to look backwards, right? I'm a chiropractor. Looking backwards is bad for your neck. Don't do that. The goal in cutting them off was to get them out of your life so you're not affected by their bad behavior anymore. It doesn't make any sense to cut them off and still give them all your attention. So once you've decided to cut the toxic person off, now it's your time. So what do we do now? If you've been in a toxic environment for a long time, you will probably have picked up some toxic traits. Why? Because you end up fighting fire with fire. You've tried every form of communication. You've tried every form of acceptance. You've tried to be perfect. You've tried to do everything that they've demanded to make you feel secure in that relationship. And they keep you insecure so they feel secure. But toxic traits that you've picked up and bad habits that you've picked up are just that. They're bad habits. And just like the reprogramming, of your mind to get your attention off of them, you can reprogram the bad habits too. So if you've noticed that you've cut people off and you're carrying some of the bad habits, really check yourself. Bad habits or toxic traits become contagious for a few different things. You could have been in survival mode. When you're in survival mode, your body will naturally get what it needs and figure out how to get it. You have to be a little bit selfish in toxic relationships to survive. So a lot of times that's where toxic behaviors come in. The other way toxic behaviors come in, and I did this, I was never a yeller. I've always been loud, but I was never a yeller. And by the time I left my toxic relationship, all I did was yell at my kids. Because you have to eventually fight fire with fire. And when you have toxic traits being thrown at you, every day, all day long, so that they can feel control, power, attention, and admiration, you feel defeated, you feel hopeless, you feel helpless. So you will adopt some of those traits to try and fight back, to try and survive, to try and prove a point, to try and make them see. So be very careful if you feel like you've picked up toxic traits. Self-talk is essential in healing. Recognize when you or someone else sees these traits in you. Keep a toxic trait tally. If you notice that you're doing something, write it down so that you are more aware of it when you do it again. Keep checking and rechecking yourself if you have cut yourself off from a toxic person because you will have adapted behaviors. Make a conscious effort to watch how you're treating people and even more importantly, how you're reacting. Because on top of developing some of the toxic traits, you're also dealing with toxic triggers. And above all, if you've cut somebody off 
and you find your attention back on them continually, the answer to this is put yourself first. Get up every morning and consciously say, today is my day. Discover who you are now that nobody is telling you who you have to be. And back to the A to Z list that I have people do. Write the alphabet on two pieces of paper. One piece of paper, write more of that you want in your life that starts with each letter. On the other piece of paper, write less of what you want in your life that starts with each letter. As long as we are focusing on the negative and the bad, we are going to attract more negative and bad. But once you cut the toxic person off, you have to make a conscious effort to put yourself first, which means start focusing on the list of what you want more of in your life. Start focusing on what you have always wanted your life to look like. Read that list every day and you're going to start noticing more and more of that stuff comes into your life. If all you focus on is hoping you don't have conflict with a toxic person, what are you going to get? Conflict with a toxic person. If we continually put our energy and our attention onto the list that we don't want in our life, we are going to attract more of what we don't want in our life. So get your A to Z list of what you want more of in your life and start reading through it every day and consciously put yourself first every morning and right after lunch and before you go to bed. Remind yourself who is the most important. And this sounds selfish because you've been told you're selfish. Self-care is not selfish. You cannot truly give the love that you have to give until you love yourself and you know who yourself is. When your mind goes to the less of list, consciously say, we're not thinking about that, we're thinking about this, and think about the things you want more of in your life. Try new things. Be very open to randomness because when you are in a toxic relationship, you're completely controlled. Your decisions are controlled, your energy is controlled, your time is controlled. So when you cut yourself off, you can't just sit there and expect things to happen. You have to make them happen. So start trying new things, buying new things, making small decisions, doing things for the first time. It's, like, it's just like in the game of cards. And this is a quote that Taylor, that I interviewed two episodes ago, brought to me. I had never heard this quote and she was the one that said it. We cannot choose the hand we are dealt. However, we do have the control over how we play it. Meaning our pasts and our paths are chosen to make us who we are meant to be. The nurturing parent, the loyal friend, the trustworthy person, the great supportive partner. Your past is not who you are. It is just a step in the staircase of who you are going to be when you reach the top. So keep climbing. Hey everybody, welcome back. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. Rid your life of toxic people. This is Dr. Heidi, your toxic relationship awareness and healing specialist. Just a reminder, um, you've heard me say this before. I just wanna make sure that everybody knows I am somebody who has walked the fire of toxic relationships in my life. I am someone who has taken my past and turned it into something where I feel like I can benefit to the lives of people walking, walking a similar path. I am not a mental health professional. Uh, my doctorate degree is in chiropractic and acupuncture. And so I don't want you to take the, this podcast 
um, and use it as a mental health podcast, still find yourself a therapist and find yourself a counselor if you think that you are needing some support in the mental health avenue. Uh, that being said, I do a lot of education, probably more than anybody likes to hear. Ask my clients. I probably do more education than they're wanting. They are sick of me by the time they're done working with me. But that was the piece that I found was missing uh, when I went through my recovery was educating people on the character traits and how a toxic person operates. Not what they do, but why they do it. And then what I can do is I help you understand the toxic person, can walk you out of toxic relationships, through the recovery, into the healing process, and onto the life that you've always wanted or tricky wordage here. Maybe you didn't even know which life you already you always wanted because you've always been living the life that somebody else wanted you to live. So just to just to clarify that a little, I don't know that I've mentioned it for a while. So for the new listeners, I just want you to know that. One shout out today. If you've listened to several of my podcasts, you might have heard me mention my dad. Um, I look to him for a lot of advice. I lean on him for a lot of support. He supports my work. He knows exactly what I do. A lot of my clients are on his prayer lists. He likes to send my clients who are open to it Bible verses. Um, he is a, was a dairy farmer turned prison chaplain. But the shout out today is it is my dad's 78th birthday today on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, he is not Irish, the poor man, but he always ends up eating corned beef and cabbage and wearing green on his birthday. So big shout out to the um, from your biggest fan, dad. Happy birthday. Okay, what I want to talk about today is I want to talk a little bit about something that you guys ask about in the support group. You ask me through emails. Everybody can Google this. I have talked about it before. I want to talk a little bit about no contact. And I know this is something that gets pounded into our heads, yet it is. it seems like such an easy concept and it's so hard to do. After I talk a little bit about the no contact, I want to talk about contact. I want to go through some of the things and the reasons why we stay in contact with toxic people and even more importantly, why toxic people want to stay in contact with us. So to begin, um, I have touched on this analogy before in a podcast, but I want to read something that I actually sent it out in an email a couple weeks ago, and it was in, posted in the Strength Within group. If you're not in the Strength Within group, that is a private support group that I host on Facebook. So if you're looking for a community of like-minded people, Strength Within would be a great place for you to go. Anyway, I want to read this. Um, I had written this when I was trying to explain and make an analogy for why no contact is so important. You are walking in the woods on a beautiful day. The sun is shining, but you know that rain is on the way. Just when you think you should head back, you see a wolf and the wolf sees you. You know if you make a move, so will the wolf. So you stand still in fear for a minute, but you cannot do this forever. You remember a cabin just down the trail ahead and think, if I could get to that cabin, I would be safe. So you run. As expected, the wolf runs too. As fast as you can, dodging stumps, ditches, ditches and obstacles, hoping not to trip. Knowing that the wolf is behind you. You don't look back, you just keep running. You can hear the wolf getting closer, but the cabin is in sight. 
You victoriously make it to the porch and in the front door before the wolf completes his pursuit. You lock the door and whoo, you are safe. You notice a draft coming from one of the bedrooms and when you check, you see that there is a broken window. Knowing that the wolf is still outside and could come through the window at any time, you barricade the door to that room. Things are quiet for a while and you know that you are safe as long as you stay away from that window. Just a scent of you could cause that animal to jump through the window in pursuit of its prey. You know it's dangerous. You know you are playing with fire. You know that the worst could happen if you went by that window. But you're curious. You want to know, where is the wolf now? What is the wolf doing? Does the wolf have friends with him by now? Maybe he's moved on. Maybe he's just sitting, laying there in the wakes. But you don't know the stress. You don't know, but the stress of all of it is killing you. You are aware of the danger, yet you want to know. Do you go near the window? This is the same as no contact. And why co no contact is imperative when leaving a toxic relationship. If you open the door and stand by the window, you are at risk. If you answer the text, you are at risk. If you answer the phone call, you are at risk. If you meet with them to talk, you are at risk. If you see them face to face, fear takes over and you succumb to the behavior that you have been trying so hard to avoid. Keep yourself safe. Don't set yourself up to fail. Say no, stay no or as low contact as possible. When you are not in contact, the wolf will eventually have to leave and find its prey somewhere else. Are you continually going back to the window to see where he is, just to check, to make sure who the wolf is hanging out with, or if he's just sitting there waiting? Or are you staying where you know you are safe away from the danger? I do understand that when children are involved, the approach to no contact takes a little bit different direction. That being, the only contact you have with them is over the topics that involve the kids. You don't give them insight into anything else into your life. And when you communicate, you do so without emotions attached. It can be done, even if it feels impossible. Once you learn to communicate with them in this way, contact become, because of the children is not as frightening. I've taught several clients how to be in no contact or as be in little contact as you can, even with the children. So be strong in your dedication to no contact and don't go near the window. So I wrote that analogy just so people had a picture in their head of how dangerous contact could be after leaving. And you guys have all researched the no contact thing. You know that that's what you have to do, but why is it so hard to do it? Two reasons. One, and I'm only going to touch on this one, you have been programmed to feel like you have to respond and be there for the toxic person. The toxic person always feels more secure when you respond and react emotionally the way they need you to. And they've trained you to do that. So when you get a text, you feel obligated to respond. When they want to talk, you feel obligated to talk. Not knowing that the only reason they're reaching out is they need contact. So that's what I want to talk about today. We understand the no contact, but why is it so hard to stay there? Because the toxic person seeks contact. And from our point of view, we've left 
we've divorced, we've cut off communication as much as we can. So when they have contact, it seems pretty innocent to us. You know, we don't want to be mean. We don't want to hurt them. We don't want to be the bad guy. We want to take the high road. We don't want other people to think bad of us if we're being childish or immature by not responding. They just want to talk. What harm could that do? Besides, I feel like I need to validate and explain why I left or explain why I've changed or explain why the relationship wasn't working for me. Okay, let's talk about all those things. What happened in the past when we didn't want to be mean? What happened in the past when we didn't want to hurt them? What happened in the past when we wanted to take the high road? What happened in the past when they just wanted to talk? What happened in the past when you felt the need to explain yourself? None of that ended up in a healthy communication exchange. Anytime you tried to communicate with a toxic person, it always went south. You ended up taking the blame. You ended up taking fault. You, you sent a reaction out there that they were seeking so they felt secure. But again, you ask yourself, why would a little contact hurt? And I can't go no contact because of the kids. The thing that you need to realize with the toxic person is because they are emotionally abusive, meaning they use your emotional reactions to get what they need, all they need is contact to get a reaction. So while you're struggling to stay no contact or low contact, they are setting everything in place to stay in contact. They want the reassurance that you are not completely gone. You are not completely out of their control. And if they can just get contact, they have their foot in the door to cause you to react. Toxic people don't care if the contact is positive or the contact is negative, as long as they have contact. And you know as well as I do that when that text comes through, you look at it, you think about not responding, and then you feel obligated to respond. The toxic person knows that. They know they've trained you that if you don't respond, you're gonna be in trouble. If you don't answer them, they're gonna text you five more times. If you don't get back with them, they're gonna call or show up at your door. You already know this because past behaviors have shown you that. But go back to what they're seeking. The only reason they keep pushing the contact is because they need to remind themselves that you are not completely out of, out of their control. Remember, control, power, attention, and admiration. When they know they're in control of your emotions, they feel more secure. So here are some examples of contact points that toxic people use to stay in contact with you. Number one, in a divorce situation, it's the kids, right? We all know if we're divorcing a toxic personality and we have kids with them, we do not get to completely cut off from them because there always has to be the conversation about the kids' schedules and the kids' extracurriculars and the holidays. But what happens when they contact you about the kids? If you don't keep the conversation just to the kids, they try to sneak other things in. They try to mess with the schedule or ask for a favor. Or, this is a good one, tell you that you're not parenting correctly. Or if the kid has misbehaved or the child has gotten into trouble at school, 
They're going to make sure that you know we have to be parents on this and we have to attack this as a team. Okay, go back to thinking, were you a parenting team when you were married? Chances are no. So when they throw out that we need to be a team and parent these kids, all they're seeking is to stay in contact with you to remind themselves they're in control. Another thing that they like to stay in contact with or an excuse that they use to stay in contact with is stuff. And I use air quotes when I say stuff because stuff can incorporate anything. You break up with somebody and you go get all your stuff, but you leave one sweater there. They will use the sweater as an excuse to stay in contact with you. Well, I found this sweater. Do you think you want it back? I can drop it off or you can come and get it. So you, you make arrangements to go get it and then they're not there. Because the goal wasn't really to give you the sweater back because then they wouldn't have a reason to contact you again. The goal was to use the sweater to contact you and then not give it to you so they have a reason to contact you again. They specifically won't pick their stuff up from you because if they don't pick their stuff up, they have a reason to contact you about their stuff. So there's always, they're always looking to keep one string attached with stuff. Mail is a big one. I forgot to change my mailing address. I'm going to have to swing by and grab the mail. Okay, you can change your mailing address online now. So that's no longer an excuse. Uh, big items, the bed, the motorcycle in the garage. Well, I don't have any way to move that. So can you just keep it and then I can come and get it? They always want to leave something that's attached to stuff or keep something of yours that's attached to stuff so they have a reason to contact you. Paperwork is a big thing. They keep paperwork or withhold paperwork or make up paperwork or say they need something signed so they have a reason to contact you. The divorce process is a huge reason to stay in contact. I'm doing a lot of research for my upcoming program that I'm writing on, you know, how to get ready to divorce, what to expect when you divorce, what things to ask an attorney when you divorce. Okay, when you divorce a toxic person, they transfer the control that they had over you into controlling you through the divorce process. So they're in the divorce process to win. They're not in the divorce process to settle. So they'll fight over the Candyland game if they think that that's going to get them somewhere or they think that that's going to hurt you. And there's always unending paperwork. You need to sign the title over. You need to sign this for the bank account. I need your I need your signature on, on this, or I forgot to pick up the bank papers. You know, because when somebody says papers, it sounds really important, right? Oh, it's the papers. And we all like, oh, we have to take care of these papers. Well, if it wasn't a priority before, why all of a sudden is it a priority now? Any paperwork that needs to be signed through the divorce process, your attorneys will tell you to sign it. Memories. Memories is another great way that they like to stay in contact. You won't have heard from them forever and all of a sudden you'll get the picture of you guys on your first date. Okay, what is the purpose of that? The purpose of something like that is to get an emotional reaction out of you even if they don't know that they did. They know if they send you a picture of you on your first date, you're going to get emotional. You're going to be sad. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to wonder if you threw it all away. You're going to think that maybe it wasn't that bad. Memories of good times, memories of family things. Um, they'll say, hey, I was just here and I just thought of you. Okay, none of those types of things need a response because once you realize, when we, when we initially get that picture of the first date, we go, 
Oh. You have to remind yourself that they just used the picture of the first date for a reason to stay in contact so that they can elicit an emotional reaction and feel like they're in control. So there's all of these different examples of why they contact you. Um, events, events are a big reason to contact you. You know, there's a funeral or there's a wedding or were you going to this wedding? I'm gonna go, I know we were friends, we, even though we're not together, are you gonna go to this wedding? Sporting events, you had tickets at one point. So do you wanna use the tickets together? Do you wanna, no, no, I don't, I don't want to use the tickets together, but they use the tickets as a reason to contact you. Um, the drunk texts in the middle of the night are a reason to contact you. And then you might get a, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to contact you. I was, I drank too much and I shouldn't have texted you. But what did it do to you when you woke up at three o'clock and got a text in the middle of the night? Your attention went straight to them and you probably had an emotional reaction. Regardless if it was anger because they woke you up or sadness because you missed them or did I do something wrong or did, do I feel guilty? Their goal was elicit, to elicit an emotional reaction out of you and make sure you remember they're still around. One of the things that I've seen repetitively, and this is a story that happened to one of my clients, um, divorced her partner because of infidelity. Okay, and we all know they move from one person to the next because they're seeking to get their needs met. So she divorced her partner because of infidelity. Her partner now is having a baby and married the person that she divorced him over. But every time he comes to exchange the kids, he propositions her to sleep with him. Okay, that type of communication is their attempt to get you to react, to spur your memory, to think about the good times, to remind you that there's a history there. So even though it seems innocent, it's not. All of these behaviors are to keep you in contact with them so they can stay in contact with you. So even though we don't want to feel like the bad person, and even though we, we want to take the high road, knowing that the only reason they're sending these things and making up these excuses to stay in contact with you is to stay in control. They don't care if you have divorce papers. They don't care if you've broken up. They don't care if you've gone no contact. All they care about is still having a foot in the door to be able to control you somehow. You know, we've been programmed to think we need to stay in contact. That's why no contact is so hard. We've been programmed to give them the reaction so that there's not conflict. Ask yourself, does this contact need a response? What is the goal behind this contact? Because even though you feel like you have to respond and that you feel like you have to answer the phone, I promise you, there are other options. And when, you, when a lot of times when they first contact you, it'll just be a text. And you'll think, well, it's just a text, so I'll go ahead and respond. So you respond. And guess what happens the next day? You get a phone call. Well, we did text last night, so I'll just answer the phone. And on the phone call, hey, maybe we should meet for coffee. So now you're stuck with the dilemma of, I knew I shouldn't have answered that text because now I've got a pain in my stomach because they want to meet and talk. Okay, the meeting and talking is just a way to wiggle back into your life. When you go no contact, you don't want them to know anything about your personal information. 
You don't want them to have an inside look at your life, who you're seeing, who you're talking to, what you're doing. The goal of getting out of a toxic relationship is to get the toxic person out of your life or get the relationship to a dynamic that you are in control of your emotions in it. So this continually reaching out and making excuses to contact you, another one just came to my head. All of a sudden, you'll just get song lyrics. You know, I haven't heard from you for four weeks and now I'm just getting song lyrics. Okay, that's, that's just an excuse to stay in contact with you. So if you're having a lot of these touch points where you're seeing some of this stuff repeat, just know they are trying to stay in contact so that it reminds them that you are not completely out of their control. When you get the contact, ask yourself, was that for my attention? Was that to get an emotional reaction? You know, and when, when somebody contacts us that we've tried to go no contact with, they know the minute you see their name on your phone, your attention goes to them. Our bodies respond the way they were trained to respond when we were in the toxic relationship. I always encourage you, change how they're programmed in your phone. If you haven't been strong enough to go no contact and block them, change how they are programmed in your phone. Because when you see that name that's always popped up on your phone for years, that has been controlling and manipulative, your body is gonna respond the same way it's always responded. But if you change the, the word that they're programmed in with, visually, you won't have near as bad as response because it's not that reactionary response. And I have some people that put funny names in, I have some people that put emojis in, but just so that you change the way it looks so your body isn't so frightened or isn't so on guard when you, when you hear from them. Don't be surprised when they show up. You know, you break up, you think you'll never hear from them again. You'll hear from them again. They want to control as many people as they can. They want attention from as many people as they can get. They want admiration from as many people as they can get. The more people involved in their life that are supplying them with those things, the more secure they feel. So your job is to be consistent, to be consistent in not showing an emotional reaction to be consistent in not feeding them with the things that they need. And as soon as you're consistent, just like the wolf, they're gonna have to go find what they need from somebody else. But because the contact thing seems so blurry, we think it's not as intentional when it is absolutely 100% intentional to stay in control so that they feel secure. I know that the contact, not contact thing gets confusing because what happens when you go no contact? It seems like it should be easy and you're in a fight with yourself. Your logic and your emotions don't match when you try to go no contact. So if you're not ready to go no contact, don't go no contact because when you block them and you're not ready, then you unblock them. And when you unblock them, you're saying, I set a boundary, but I took it back down because it really is not that important. So if you're in a spot where you're not ready to block, that's okay. Just know that when they contact you, evaluate why they're contacting you. And is this a valid reason for them to be contacting you? Or did they just find an excuse to get their foot back in the door? Thank you for listening as always. Just because we're not in the same chapter right now, does not mean we're not all in the same book. If you are just beginning your journey, go to coachingwithdrheidi.com and take the toxicity profile analysis. 
It's a great tool for validation if the toxic behaviors have become normal to you. If you know someone who you believe could benefit from this information, please share. You may be changing their life.